Thank you, Harold. Sorry for um, <laughs> jumping ahead of you there. All right. Well, we're still in Mark. And believe it or not, we're still on Tuesday of Passover week, almost 2,000 years ago. We're continuing this, executive, uh, this uh, consecutive expository series in Mark, and this is the last third of the book, and this is the last week of Jesus' life, and things are about to turn and take a different turn after this week. It's still, as I said, Tuesday of Passover week, but Jesus has left the building, and now it's on the Mount of Olives, and he is now answering his disciples' two questions about he had said that the temple was going to be destroyed and he asked they were asking him when is this going to happen and how what are the signs so that we'll know and not get caught up if such an awful thing is going to fall upon Jerusalem its temple and its people and so the lord has been answering that question very consistently And I believe he does so and continues to do so here in Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. This is our scripture reading. Hear the word of the Lord with careful attention. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then they will send out, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And from the fig tree, Learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly, and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay Awake. The word of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, 
we know that these are difficult things to hear. Things that are dark with judgment. Things that are cataclysmic and change the course of nations. Father, we pray that once again today that we would not be left to our own senses or to our own cleverness or to our own arrogance, but that we would humbly submit ourselves to what you told us in your holy word. Father, teach us what you want us to know from this passage, and we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to jump right in the deepest water part of the water. Not going to wade in. Not going to stick a toe in first. I'm just going to just jump full bore in. Allow me and please hear what I'm saying. Because a lot of what I'm going to say after what I'm about to say is going to sound different. But hear what I am saying. Allow me to be perfectly clear. I believe in the glorious, visible, bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ that we often refer to as the second coming. We are waiting for his appearing. I believe that with all my heart. It is confessed by all the creeds of Christendom. It is a truth yet to come to reality. I believe that. But, but, I'm not convinced that that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. I'm not convinced that's what he's talking about in this passage. Now, why in the world... Would I say that? Well, let me just again remember the importance of our friend context. This is a relatively short statement. And the only thing is about angels being sent out to gather the elect that's attendant with this passage in the first section in verses 24 through 27. All the other things that we associate classically with the second coming or the final coming of Christ at the end of everything, at the end of the history of the world, the things that are normally associated with that are not here. For instance, the judgment of the living and dead Remember Jesus said, at the last day I will raise them up. He who believes in me, I will raise them up. The judgment of the living and dead. There's no mention of that. Huge part of the second coming. The resurrection itself of not Jesus, but of believers. That is confessed in all of the creeds as well. Categorically but there's no mention of that here. Whatever this is talking about, whatever coming this is talking about, is not mentioned here. 
and the consummation of all things. When we will together, as Paul says in Thessalonians, together be with the Lord always. That's not mentioned here. The only attending element here is that of the angels and their gathering work. More on that later. You see, these are some of the reasons I view this the way I do. And once again, I'm calling on you to remember our two good friends. Two important axioms. One I just mentioned a while ago, context is your friend. If it's not, you're going to be jumping in and out of one event thousands of years past and back in and back out. Doesn't make sense in this passage. Context is your friend. Secondly, what, what have I been saying the last three weeks? Or last, scripture must interpret Scripture. Not your ideas of what you think eschatology should look like. Or what your favorite eschatological event or the thing you like to discuss the most. That is not what determines what the scripture says. And we have in the audience today, in the book of Mark, the ultimate prophet. The one who says the scriptures cannot be broken and that is Jesus himself. He's the one saying these things. So we need to listen to scripture very carefully as we try to understand scripture. Now here's our outline today. The vengeance, the vindication, and the vigilance. Vindicate vengeance, what? These are days of judgment, of vengeance according to Jesus. But they're also days of vindication of both his people ultimately and their cause. And his kingdom, and also of his reliable word, as we're going to see. And yet there is the call to vigilance, to be watchful, to be attentive to what we do not know, and keep our eyes on the right things. So, we start with the vengeance. Now, this is the part that most people find the most interesting, and there's a lot of debate over this, and I'm going to simply give you what I think I understand from my study of this scripture. I could be wrong on some things. Others could be wrong about some things. All I'm telling you of what I think makes the most sense in context here. The phrase, in those days, in verse 24 that we read, It does not refer to a time far, far off. It's talking about those days in which Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He goes on to say that's going to all take place within the lifetime of all of you here. At least the span of a normal lifetime if you don't, don't get it cut short by death. But in other words, it's everything that I'm saying is going to take place. This is a specific time frame in that dangerous tribulation that we read about last week and the destruction of of the, the people of God having to flee before the destruction of Jerusalem came upon them. And it's 
also referred to that same phrase in those days is used in verse 19 from last week and it's used again in verse 24. So this can't be a categorical break from what was going on last time to something jump hyperspace and jumped out thousands of years in advance. It's talking about the same thing. Same language used those days then, those days, same days. This is all one ball of wax. Now, what do we do with that language of the, this cataclysmic astral language of the sun and moon and stars? What in the world could that mean? That's got to be something big. Well, yeah, it always has been. Always throughout the Old Testament, the prophets used this language all the time, referring to when nations were about to get their lights put out and a new nation was going to arise in their place. There was going to be a vengeance upon one and there was going to be vindication for the other. That has happened all the way through the Old Testament. Jesus is just the final and greatest prophet. He's using the same language. It means the same things. Hey, heads up. Listen, big things are about to happen. There's going to be a change of administration here. That's what all that's saying. And we can't put our force, our wooden intent on that when it's clearly metaphorical, hyperbolic language. Interestingly, in the parallel, Matthew's account, both Luke, Matthew, and Mark all basically record this, the Olivet Discourse. And in Matthew's parallel, he speaks of the sign of the Son of Man coming. The sign of the Son of Man. Mark just says the Son of Man. But Matthew is the Hebrew scholar, remember? He's the guy that knows and understands Old Testament language. He says there's something, he, he seems to be alluding, there's something else that's going to take place before the coming that's going to indicate the coming is near and here. Matthew brings this greater clarity of what Jesus is perhaps talking about. An appearance of an unmistakable sign as Jesus is coming. Now, let me remind you of something. Do you remember a couple of times in Mark? that we've looked at something strange where Jesus has made a statement like, hey guys, some of you standing here, right in the middle of the disciples, you're not going to die, taste death, until you see the glory of the kingdom of God coming in great power and glory. Same language is right here. And the real catcher is this one in Matthew's gospel account in the trial. His trial is more lengthy and more detailed than Mark's that we'll be seeing soon. But in verse 64 of chapter 26, Jesus is being tried before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then in verse 64, It says, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, something's changing after his death and resurrection. From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power 
and coming. That word is parousia. Coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, you think that's talking about 2,000 years later? 4,000 years later? I don't. I guess theoretically it's possible, but it wouldn't make any sense. Jesus was saying, guys, you are hirelings. You have butchered the flock of God. You have not been faithful. Judgment is coming, and I'm going to be bringing it, and you're going to live to see it, and it's going to happen in your time. That's a coming, a sense of coming. That's what is referred to in this text. But you say, Joe, but how can that, how can we say that Jesus came in 70 AD? Well, because Christ came in judgment on the unbelieving Jews in 70 AD. And that was always the language in the Old Testament. When God was coming, it usually was not a good thing. It could be, and again, remember, there's always that vindication aspect that goes along with the vengeance, but the vengeance is who is getting put out, their lights out. The vindication is those who are being raised up. Familiar pattern all through the Old Testament. You see, there were, you say, but, 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 but Joe, there were no signs. I mean, we don't have any evidence. Oh, yes, we do. We have a lot of evidence that all kind of amazing astral phenomena went down. Both things heavenly and earthly. Things that pertained to the earth and things that were in the sky that were seen. Incredible phenomena. There were both heavenly and earthly signs of it recorded by the Jewish historian Josephus that Sean referenced in his Sunday school this morning. And also by the Roman historian Tacitus. Extreme detailed account. Josephus wrote a book about the Jewish wars in all of the detail. I want you just to listen to a few things to get a sense of this. Of what happened in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the things that followed that. First of all, there was a star that began to hang over the skies of Jerusalem. And it resembled, had a very unusual shape, and it was there for a long time. It resembled a sword, and it was taken as an omen of this is not good. This is not a good thing. Halley's Comet decided to reappear in 66 AD. In, in, in 60, Nero, there was another comet, and he thought, oh, this is bad news, and then he survived that. But when 66 came, he ended up committing suicide when Halley's Comet showed up. And it stayed and stayed and stayed. They, everybody that knew what was going on said, this is not a good sign. This is a sign of judgment. There is a bright light that shone out of, around the altar and the temple. And some had visions of chariots and soldiers running around among the clouds and the surrounding cities of Jerusalem. There was, earthly speaking, phenomena of an incredible quaking of the earth. There was a great noise. And if you read Ezekiel 10, 15 through 29, you hear the noise that the seraphim and cherubim and the sound of their wings and the chariots. Ezekiel's language, it is a loud 
proclaiming sound, something, God's on the move. And ultimately, the sound of, the, of a multiplying voice was heard. And it was the fatal Echabod saying the glory has departed. There was a time in, in that, it was talking about the time in the, in the, uh, of, the, of the glory departing of, from, the, from the holy city. Um, and there was a, and uh, Josephus gives us this account. This is just very fascinating if you'll let me read. This is from uh, uh, his, the wars. And he says, um, besides these, a few days after the feast, one and twentieth on the one and twentieth day of Artemisus, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomena appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be fable were it not related by those who saw it, and were not the events that followed, if so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. For before sun setting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding cities. Moreover, at that feast, which we call Pentecost, as this priest were going by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was to perform their sacred ministrations, they said that, in the first place, they felt a quaking and heard a great noise. And after that, they heard a sound as of a great multitude saying, let us remove hence. In other words, let's get out of here now. This is bad. It's a sign of the glory departing. The destruction of Jerusalem was the end of the temple and a new temple would come in its place you see the new testament scriptures i believe folks we could go on to a lot more detail here but i'm not going not going to try to do this is not the place but here's two things to keep in mind i believe the new testament scriptures teach us two very important realities one the judgment coming of Christ on the Jews at the end of the Jewish age. That was a coming of Christ to bring destruction as Jesus promised. God would bring destruction on Jerusalem and it would end the Jewish age. So there's a coming to end the age. But that's A. There's also... Another coming, and it's with a capital T, the. There's that coming of Christ to end the Jewish age, but there's also the parousia, the appearing, the fine, what we call the final coming that I referenced at the first today. The final coming of Christ at the end of all history, at the end of the world. And in A.D., there was a coming of Christ to end the old age. In the future, there will yet be the coming of Christ to end all ages. Does that make, make sense? Do you, you understand? Both are real. Both are important. Both are true. 
And the scripture attests to both. The problem is we do a lot of getting those things crosswired and mixed. And we don't know why things don't end up making more sense. You see, this end of the Jewish age will be the beginning of the elect's missionary expansion of the gospel. That's what about the the angels, that word there, angels can refer to heavenly beings, yes, but it can also refer to human messengers of the gospel. Or here it could be refer these angels could be referring to real angels that we think of, heavenly beings that are supporting missionaries in their task of world evangelization. That's what's going to happen on the other side of the destruction. The new age of the Messiah is going to come into reality. And God is going to be sending his missionaries all over the world. All over the then known world and still doing it all over the world where people need to hear the gospel. And the angels play a role in that. Whether they're the messengers, human, or whether they were angelic beings, it doesn't matter. Interesting, Hebrews um, uh, one fourteen says this: Are they, meaning angels, not also mentoring, mentor, ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's what. That's one of their jobs. That's one of their roles. Their job description. And so it would be appropriate. And this is appropriate. In this judgment coming of Christ, He clears the deck of the old and makes way for the new. And then sends his people out, his disciples, his apostles, his missionaries unto the world to proclaim his victory, his gospel, his glory, his vindication of his people and his purpose and his cause and his kingdom. You see, my friends, listen to what R.C. Sproul says about this. I think he really sums it up really well. As to whether, what do, we, what do we take as figurative and what do we take as literal? He says, in the end, there are basically two ways to handle the Olivet Discourse. Text we've been dealing with. One is to interpret Jesus' language about his coming as figurative. In a figurative sense. And interpret the time frame, when it's going to happen, reference in a direct or literal sense. Or... Second alternative. Or you can understand the time frame references figuratively and treat the teaching about Jesus' coming in a literal sense. In other words, either the language of the return is figurative or the time frame references are figurative. But you can't have it both ways. It's either one or the other. And what I'm suggesting to you is the time frame is solid, state, clear. The other language of coming is a coming, but not the final coming. That's what I'm suggesting to you as I understand this. Now, what though does this make? What's the implication to this? I've alluded to it a little bit, but let me say just a little bit more. When Jesus comes in clouds, when, when you see that language, when Jesus is the one coming in clouds, and that's the glory Shekinah cloud. It's not talking about puffy white ones in the sky on a good clear day that we hope to see one day soon again. Uh, it's not talking about that. 
It's not talking about those kind of clouds. It's clouds of glory and might and power. When Jesus comes in clouds, it means that God is no longer present in the temple and never will be again because Jesus is the new temple of God. And that changes everything. And in that temple, we can go boldly into the holy of holies because of what Jesus, our Savior, has accomplished and done. A new age has dawned. That's what this signals. That's how significant and how important it is. Now the vindication, briefly, is in 28 through 31. Most of the time is in the first one, so don't worry. Um, 28 through 31. Vindication. Vindication of what? Well, in verses 29 through 31, Jesus affirms that the generation contemporary with his disciples will witness the fulfillment of this prophetic word from Jesus that we call the Olivet Dialogue or Discourse. Jesus is responding, remember, to the initial questions by the disciples. When will these things take place? And what will be the sign? And this assurance is further strengthened. This, This assurance is further strengthened. Listen to verse 30 again. read it earlier but again when Jesus says this so also when you see these things taking place you know that he is near at the very gates truly I say to you this generation will not pass away until all not some all these things take place now do, you, do we take Jesus's word or not did Jesus know what he was talking about or not was he a true prophet or not I believe him And even though I don't understand how all this stuff fits together necessarily, I believe that's what happened. And Jesus was talking about everything in this discourse. And then, an assurance is further given in verse 31, which is equivalent to, you better believe it. You better believe it is, it's surely going to happen because I say so. I am the true prophet. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, is he just saying something like we tag on the end of a, uh, of a when we read the scripture? Sometimes, yeah, that's, that's it. we do tag that on. But he's saying something very profound. He is saying, I'm telling you, this is all going to come down within your lifetime, your generation, not some made-up idea of a generation in, in the future. It's all going to come down here. And he said, I'm telling you, even the heavens are less sustainable and they are more subject to crumbling and crashing and falling down than my word. What I've said, I mean it and I am telling you the truth. You can bank on it. That's what Jesus is saying. You can absolutely be confident that what I say will come to pass. So you see the dialogue shores up the dependability of Scripture, of sacred Scripture. Jesus' words are part of sacred Scripture, and it vindicates him as the true prophet, and his disciples and apostles as true disciples and apostles 
sent with authority to take his word throughout the world. Now, there's the last section is the vigilance, and that's in 32 through 37. Jesus is now referring to an event that has no signs. The other did have some signs. You'll know it's close when you see these things happening. You know this is time. You get out. This, no signs. There's no signs for this of when it's going to take place. And no one knows, Jesus said, not even what? The angels in heaven or even the sun. Now, how can that be? See, some people think that it must, when it says that, but of that day, they think that refers to the eschatological day of the Lord. And it can. It can refer to that. But it doesn't make sense in context again. It can refer to the final day of the Lord, but it also can be referring to a day of the Lord. And that's exactly what I've told you. I think this is. This is a judgment day of the Lord. And yet, Jesus says no one knows the exact date of that. Of that exact day, it's going to happen on the 3rd of March, year so-and-so, 78. No, he didn't tell them that much specificity. He didn't know it. He said, well, how can that be? How can that be? Jesus now, listen carefully, he now knows the exact time of his coming and judgment at the end of the Jewish age, and he knows the time of the return, his return at the end of all ages. He knows that now. Why? How? Because he's the ascended Christ He has now been exalted and he is no longer in his state of what the theologians called humiliation, which means he is truly God and yet he's truly man. And therefore, as truly man, he was not just faking things as if he were human, he really was. And he learned, the scriptures tell us he learned obedience Jesus did not know all things, but he knew his Bible, he knew it well, and he was able to say, this is what the signs are going to be, because he's pulling all that stuff in the Old Testament. This has happened over and over again. This is just the final clearing of house. And so he is telling people then that he did not know it at that time. Of course he knows it now, and he knows all things because he's now exalted. The limitations of the incarnation that veil things are no longer there. Jesus knows all. But what is our duty? What is he calling us to do? It's to be vigilant, to be watchful, to wait. We're to keep looking and remain faithful in the unfinished task of the mission endeavor through God, the whole world, of taking and continuing to follow what those first century Christians did in their known world, we are to do now in ours. By way of epilogue, the message of Jesus in Mark 13 is not to get people to calculate, like a lot of people try to do, the end. But it is to stay alert and be ready and live a life of spiritual preparation. Don't you remember what happened in Acts chapter 1? Remember right when Jesus was about to ascend the Father and he goes up and taken up by not a cloud but the clouds. That's again the Shekinah glory. Saying this is God we're dealing with here. 
And the, and the disciples are up there going. And the angel said, hey, what are you guys gawking at? <laughs> Why are you staring up in heaven? Don't you know? This thing, Jesus is going to come same, one day back, same way, in glorious return. Every eye shall see him. But then he said what? What did they say? What happens immediately after that? Go do your job. Go tell the nations. Carry God's word. That's what Acts is showing you the whole, how the playbook goes out. How the script is done and played. It's been written. You focus on that, not on worried about when he's coming and trying to set times and dates. You get focused on what really matters. Be watchful, be alert, be vigilant. Jesus wanted his disciples and us to realize that the temple was no longer the focus of their hope. It was no longer. It was everything to them. But Jesus wanted them to understand, oh no, no, something far greater has come now. Something far greater is here. Listen to how it's said in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, Jews, Gentiles, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldliness and passions and to live self-control and upright and godly lives in the present age. So he's saying, Because the gospel's here, it's not like, okay, let's just go sin and live like, you know what? No, he's saying, therefore, because it's true, because he's coming, therefore, be vigilant. Be about your job. And yet, Paul says, waiting for something. Watching for something. What is that? Waiting for our blessed hope. The blessed hope's not the temple anymore. It is Or any future possible temple that some people think is going to be built. It is not going to be the Lord's temple because Jesus is the Lord's temple. That is the temple that makes a living, new and living way open to anyone, anywhere who would come to believe in its Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is coming again. That blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the Christian's blessed hope. That's what we look forward to, to that final coming in which we will always together be with the Lord. Amen? Now, stay tuned next week because we're going to be looking at the passion of the Christ, according to Mark. The passion of of the Christ, according to Mark. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this is uh, tough sledding. A lot here. And Father, I may not understand things about this passage that I've tried to explain. And if I've erred, forgive me. Help me to understand and see more clearly. But Lord, thank you that the clear things are are abundantly uh, inescapable. That Lord, you bring judgment to those that defy you and turn away from you, and yet you graciously bring mercy and grace and the gospel and forgiveness to those who will turn to you and call upon your name. And Father, with that you bring vindication and a future that is so glorious and so amazing. Father, help us to be willing to share it with others 
so they can know of the, be able to escape the wrath to come. Father, Lord, our wrath has fallen, but oh Lord, the, the final will be so much greater. Let, it, let there be more and more because of your people and your angels and your, your disciples and today and then going out into the world and to proclaim a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That if they believe in him, they can escape and already pass from death into life eternal. Here and then forever with you when you finally come again. And we thank you, Father, for these truths. Lord, may they they support and encourage our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.